We're going to be turning to Genesis chapter 2 here in a little bit, but I hope you'll allow me to introduce um, just the theme of what I'd like to talk about this morning. Um, so over the past 11 years, uh, yeah, so let me get out some, yeah, I've been doing this for 26 years. Filling pulpits, but my full-time job is I work for Key Cooperative. Um, I work in Sully, Iowa as my base of operations. Um, I've been married for 39 years to Be my wife Becky. Uh, we have three children, range in the age of 37 to 30. They're all married. Uh, youngest one currently doesn't have any children, but that's up to them to make that choice, not me. Uh, we have, uh, but we do have seven grandchildren, and we get to enjoy them. As next week, I will be in Chicago and join four of them, so I'm looking forward to that. So let me, yeah, my, and for those that may care about this, some people usually do. My parents were Henry and Luella Banstra. Uh, my father died in 2002. My mom is still living. Uh, my stepdad just died a month ago, and she'll be moving back to Pella in a few months here. So she'll be coming back in this way. Um, so th there's some of those things. Uh, but for the past 11 years, my wife, Becky, and I have been involved in a ministry in Pella called Celebrate Recovery. Uh, and so that's a, th that's a ministry people right away think of addictions. And yes... Addictions is definitely some of what we do, but we deal with a lot of things. We deal with, a, we see a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. We're not counselors, and I'll talk about some of that as we go on. Uh, we hear a lot of testimonies, and out of those testimonies, I may say some things this morning because I am very used to life. It's very real that you might not hear from a normal pastor. Because I've heard the stories of rapes, of incest, of young men being raped as well as women. I've seen what broken homes can do to people. I've seen what alcohols can do to people. I've seen what drugs can do to people. I've seen what pornography does to marriages and family. I see the eating disorders. We've seen people that have struggled with sat that have been lived life and had satanic rituals done to them. There's a lot of pain in this world. And so it's been a passion of mine to come alongside these people. I can't fix, okay? I can't fix any of them. But sharing life with them and walking alongside of them is what we do. And share Jesus Christ in every way that we can. Because Jesus changed my life. And so it's a passion of mine, so I like to share it. I used to do it by trying to do this more often. Now I do it this way, one-on-one. -on -one. And it is such a joy to see people change. 
is a true joy. And I'm not going to tell you every detail of my life, but I have learned that being open and honest is helpful for people. And as a leader at Celebrate Recovery, the more open and honest I am, the more open and honest they can be. So, you know, again, I'll just briefly say, I grew up in a loving home. I'm very privileged, because I hear a lot of stories of broken homes. So the biggest thank you I give to my, to my well now my mom, is thank you for loving me because it gave me a base to build on. But I still grew up fearful. I'm a fearful person. I, have, I can go think about what's the worst thing that can happen. And I try to worry about things that I don't, can't control. And so that fear and anxiousness comes out in various ways, food and love to eat, um, other things in my life. And so Celebrate Recovery, there's you know, two things that happen in my life. First, I experienced this true salvation because I believed, I saw, and what I heard from the pulpit growing up was what, and this is what I heard, and I apologize. I'm not telling you that's what preachers necessarily preach. What I heard was there was a lot of obey, obey God, and do things right. And if I don't do things right, I'm a lousy, worthless sinner, and I, can, I felt like I could never measure up to God. I was never going to be good enough. And so that made me. I had a very poor outlook of my own life because I could never be good enough for God. I could never be good enough for anybody. Um, I had a very poor self-image. There was a lot of self-doubt. And then there's... So then my way of trying to deal with that was people-pleasing and perfectionism and trying to really please people and make them happy and then... If I was doing all that, and if I was serving God by doing various things, this was before God really grabbed my life, then I was pleasing Him, and then I felt better. So two things had to happen in my life. First thing is that I had to experience true forgiveness, but also this whole new concept of that God, so Hebrews or, you know, Hebrews 10, 14 is my, one of my life verses. Because by one sacrifice, he has made me perfect forever for those who are being made holy. I could let go of the perfectionism and trying to please God because he took care of it all for me. And I get up every day knowing that in Christ I am perfect. And that's how he sees me. So I took care of one. But the other thing that happened is that these thoughts and these things that brought anxiety, me trying to control up, control situations that I couldn't control, I came to celebrate recovery as a leader and found out I needed to confess my thought patterns and these things that were happening in my life 
I had to let go of pride, the Dutch front that everything's okay, and I had to be real and honest and open. And that's what changed, further grew my life. So I can live in greater peace, as the serenity prayer says. So that's my introduction this morning. Let's go to God's Word. We'll begin reading in chapter 2 of of Genesis, verse 15, and go to verse 13 of chapter 3. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to man. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and wife never were both naked, man and wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like like." God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And when then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of God, Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and so I ate. In verse 20 there, 
Fred no suitable helper was found and in verse 18 the Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone so you can see in my notes the very first thing I want to impress upon this morning is that God created us for fellowship I want to say this up front before I forget to say it Fellowship does not mean that you have to be married. You can live, in fact, Paul says, Jesus lived on this earth without being married. Paul says, it's okay to not be married. But to be not in fellowship with others is, a, is, a bad, is not a good thing. To be isolated is not a good thing. So let me go back to, here is, and I'm going to talk artistically for a moment and step away from theological jargon for a bit. God is in this, cre before creation, here God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit exist. We read that there are three people in one. Now, I don't know exactly how that exists, but I can artistically, what I can imagine is three people, separate people, sitting around a table, talking and communing together, and they build trust, and they build love, and there's no tearing apart, nobody wanting to be better than the other, there is beautiful harmony together. And this is so wonderful that they want to create a universe with people in it that made in their image so that they can experience the same fellowship together and with them, with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it's out of this beauty, out of this love that this, we are created out of this example of fellowship, of care for each other. It's so important to understand how beautiful we were created and why we were created. But then we get to And, and that's why God says it is not good for man to be alone because there's no fellowshipping happening. And yes, he's not part of me. He is made in my image, but he's not part of me. He needs to experience fellowship, so I'm going to create somebody to experience fellowship with. It is not good for us to be alone. So he creates Eve. But Satan hates God, hates fellowship. So Satan steps in. And what do we read there in verse 2 or verse chapter 3? 
What's the first thing God, Satan does? He speaks only to Eve. Now, I'm not going to get into this man-woman thing, okay? What I'm trying to say is he isolates. He isolates. Where Adam was, now this is before sin, so sometimes I read things that says, well, why didn't Adam speak up? I don't know why Adam didn't speak up, but it wasn't because he was a shame or anything like that. He hadn't sinned yet. But for some reason, Satan was able to isolate and have the conversation with Eve, whether Adam was busy working five feet away, ten feet away, I don't know. But that's how Satan works. He works to isolate us. You are the only one that this could be bad to. You are the only one who struggles with alcohol. You are the only one who struggles with addiction. You're the only one who has anxious thoughts. You are the only one. You. That's the way Satan works. You're the only one who's depressed because you lost a loved one. You. You're bad. You're evil. I will isolate you. The other thing he does is he twists words. You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan takes good things and twists them for his purposes. The most common one is sexuality. God created for good purposes. I just heard a statistic from Celebrate Recovery here this past summer. There's about 5 million people addicted to drugs in the United States. But there's over 64 million men and women who watch pornography. It's real and it's rampant. And when it's so shameful. Like I said, there's rape, there's incest, there's all kinds of things that have happened to men and to women. Abortions, all these things that come. Illicit affairs. They all bring shame. Sexual sin screws up our identity so much and messes with our minds and our heads. And we are isolated. And God, Satan takes something good and destroys it. Isn't it amazing? It tells us the minute. What? I'm I'm not finding my scripture right now. I apologize for that. Yeah. 
Anyway, what scripture says, and the NIV is one passage. It says, the minute they sinned, or the minute you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. In the King James, New King James, all the other scriptures that I read and compare, it says, the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Now, they didn't physically die, but see what happens is they too had the spiritual connection to, the whole, to God. I mean, how else can you explain after doing one sin that you immediately are fearful of God and no longer want to see Him and no longer you're hiding from Him except that the Holy Spirit is cut off and we're left alone. Alone, that's what Satan wants. Satan doesn't want people to believe in Jesus Christ because what happens when people believe in Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit comes back inside of them and unites us back to him. So here's Adam and Eve having this wonderful relationship and immediately after one sin, what do we see? How do they isolate? Blame, blame, blame. Adam, one sin, he's already blaming his wife. Well, that really builds up the relationship, right? Yeah. It's your fault. We know how good that feels. Eve blames. It's what happens. So every one of us are born into sin. If you would turn to my first Colossians 1.21. I just read this scripture that it finally made sense to me in my own life just a few years ago. Colossians 1.21. So once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, this was me. I alienated myself from God. God never said that he didn't love me. I said in my mind, he could not love me. That I was unlovable. It was all in my head because I saw my sinfulness. God could not love me. And scripture, that's, that's why the scripture is so important to me. Because this was me. I believe God could not love me. Never did he say that. He is the God of love. He is love. He can do nothing but love. We alienate ourselves from him. And it's all this stuff that I talked about, this, the sexual sins. It's all these things that happen in our lives, the stories, the things that happen to us, the pain, the loss, all these things are our story. There's pain and loss in our lives because Satan loves to isolate you. He's got you right where he wants you when you're alone with those thoughts that I am no good, I have self-doubt, self-hate. 
I'm anxious because I'm trying to control things that I can't control. So let me just share a few scriptures with you, okay? And there's a reason why I'm going to share these scriptures. Colossians 1.22 says, But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Hebrews 10.14 says, By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Ephesians 1, 4-5 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to his, with his pleasure and will. But what I see at Celebrate Recovery is I can share these scriptures, but it goes, whoosh, because there's so much pain in their lives. This self-doubt, this self-hate, all that stuff comes at us. And these scriptures just, I don't believe these things. Because of my evil behavior, I don't believe God can love me. Shame, our shame plays a big deal in our lives. Who do you believe you are? That's what shame is. There's a difference between guilt and shame. And I don't want to get into the whole thing, but I'm just going to focus on this. Shame is just who do you think you are? Are you a saint saved by God? Or are you a lousy, worthless sinner who cannot measure up to God? It affects what you do, how you believe, how you move forward in your life. The shame of what, how you identify yourself affects your relationship with God, your relationship with others. So one of the things I've learned is that you really, you know, it's one thing to accept God's forgiveness. I invite you, though, to turn to James 5.16, please. Another one of my texts. James 5.16. The text there says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We are told throughout Scripture to confess 
and I believe this, to confess my sins to God, okay? And when we confess our sins to God, what? We humble our hearts, and we know that we receive forgiveness for every one of those sins. But if you want real healing, healing with relationships, healing, get back to restoring fellowship, you need to confess those things to someone else verbally. It's a powerful thing. I have seen people that have never, and this, I'm literally talking this, that have never shared their stuff, the hurt, the pain, the anger, and the why it caused that in their life. And they share it, and they begin to find healing in their lives, and they begin to see Jesus for who he is, and they find grace and hope and passion in their lives again. Because somebody comes along that doesn't judge. You don't judge. Instead, you listen. Because you're going to hear a lot of stuff. Transgender stuff. You'll be amazed what you hear. But you come alongside those people. And you pray with them. And you listen. And you build trust. The first thing that has to happen is you build trust. And that doesn't come by trying to fix or to judge. It comes by listening and praying. Build trust so that people dare to share with you the deepest hurts, the deepest things of their life, so that they can be healed, so that they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in all its love and glory. Galatians 6, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. They say, and I think... uh, No, this is true. People don't care how much you know until you know how much, until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. See, we always want to come in. Let's fix it. Oh, you got a problem here. Let's fix it. alongside. Pray. Build the trust. When you have the trust, then they will ask you for help. And that's when you can help. But until they ask for help, everything else you tell them will go this way or there'll be anger, more anger and more hurt in their lives. So I called this, you know, in the 70s, there was a song by the Hollies called, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. That's why I put the title here. Are you willing to come alongside, to hold up and to care 
and to pray, no matter what it is. As a church body, I know some of you here, but I don't know this church body. Do you, as a church body, allow your people to be open and honest? Or are they coming with Dutch fronts? There's a song out right now by Matthew West called Truth Be Told, and he talks about we come to church and I'm fine, everything's fine, I'm good. When the pain is deep inside. A pastor in Pella told one of our leaders, he said, yeah, if the truth was really out there, you would have two to 3,000 people attending your Celebrate Recovery group. We're so fearful of sharing the pride of holding it in, the fear of judgment. Where are you in that track? Have you found a safe place? Somebody that you trust? It can be your spouse, that's okay. But there's some things that you can't build that trust with your spouse. And it needs to be someone else. It could be your pastor here. Maybe it's a counselor. Maybe it's a good friend. You can come to Celebrate Recovery. We accept anybody just the way they are. You find a safe place place. It doesn't matter what age, what state. Things happen in life that we're never prepared for and you need to talk it out. So my stepdad died. It means an adjustment in life for my mom and I. There was pain in my life. First thing I do is I called my accountability partner well, about a week into this and I just puke to him. Because he's my person. I still need this stuff. I need to share. Not keep it inside. Because then, instead, I hear that Holy Spirit working inside of me when I work through that stuff. Instead of me, my fears, my worries go away. Instead, I find a relationship of trust, knowing he's with me. I just ask that you find somebody. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we pray that you will encourage our hearts, that your word and your scripture is true, that we be open and honest and real. Find that safe place to do that, to build the trust that we dare to talk it out. In your name we pray, amen. Let's go to God and a hymn of song, a hymn of response. Number 486 in your grace altar hymnals. Come thou fount of every blessing.